All right, Valley Bible Church, let us continue with the Word of God this morning. Um, as you have heard us say many, many times, church is a family. Um, we are the family of God. We have elder fathers and elder mothers. We are brothers and sisters. And we have many ways in which uh, the Lord uh, works through us. And so this morning we're going to be talking about um, church membership, starting a new three-week series. Uh, I'd like us to take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1 as a point of reference for us. Uh, Romans chapter 12, rather, verses 1 through 4. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And uh, we're just going to read uh, verses 1 through 4 and uh, gain some context and some background and some biblical verbiage of what we're talking about. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Please give attention to the reading of God's word, if you would, please, by standing. And uh, we ask you to do that this morning. The word of God. Therefore... I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And God's people said... Amen. Please be seated. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, which um, is rich and true. We ask that you would guide us as a church family this morning and in the uh, next few weeks to come, that we would faithfully discharge the duties that you've given to us. Uh, give us ears to hear eyes to see. We seek your face. We seek uh, unity and guidance in these matters. In these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we talk about the church being a family, and a family is united, and the church is united. And so this morning we're going to talk about how we reunite. How do we unite in a, in a deeper way? What is church membership all about? You Several weeks ago, you heard Doug Snook make an announcement that we would be talking about formal church membership, and that's what we're talking about, is that there is an opportunity for us to formally join uh, Valley Bible Church. And he announced that we would be starting this series. Um, we've mentioned this numerous times in the past. It's come up in messages. Um, we have thrown it out there and talked about it. We've uh, asked you what you thought about it. Um, uh, several years ago, on the Tuesday morning uh, men's study, we went through a book called The Church in God's Program, where we studied just this specific topic. We wanted to find out what does the Bible say about church membership. And so uh, I say that so that you know that this is not anything new. This is not just out of the blue. Um, this is not something that is... Uh, uh, a knee-jerk reaction to the pandemic or something like that. It is not. We've been talking about it for years. And so with that, I want you to understand the, the gravity behind it, the, the time spent studying by the elders, the time spent d debating and talking about it and praying about it and thinking about uh, many, many different aspects of this. And so this is something that uh, has been coming for some time. Every church in Valley Bible Church has a set of bylaws. Bylaws are the, is the legal document that the state of Washington has on file. And uh, the bylaws say this about uh, membership, VBC uh, bylaws. Admission to membership. Anyone who has received Christ as his personal Lord and Savior and chosen to identify with VBC is a member. By so doing, he commits to carrying caring for members of this body 
into being cared for by them. So if you identify as a member of Valley Bible Church, according to the bylaws, you are a member of Valley Bible Church. Now, you all understand there's a little bit of trouble with the language identify these days. (laughs) You can identify as anything these days, and we don't want people to misunderstand that. Uh, But by identifying as a member, as one who's placed their faith in Christ, we are committing to care for the members of, of Valley Bible Church and to care for one another. That's part of, it's a commitment, and that is stated in the bylaws. And then it says this last sentence is something that we are remiss in, in presenting to you over the years. It says, each member, by his individual choice, may optionally choose to enter into the covenant of fellowship. We have a covenant of fellowship that you can sign. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't presented that to you, but we have one. A covenant of fellowship that you can sign, and, and if you have been part of any other church where you were a member of Baptist church or other non-denominational churches or denominational churches, a covenant of fellowship is very, very common. You read it and you sign it. We are in the, in the middle of recrafting that. We are going to call it a declaration instead of a covenant, but it's going to be a declaration of your commitment and your affiliation and your identification with Valley Bible Church. So with the term identify, if you identify yourself as a member, how do you do that? We want to make it clear. We want to provide a vehicle. We want to provide the means by which you can identify yourself as a member of Valley Bible Church and make it very clear. So for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about these three things. Uh, uh, This morning, number one, what does the Bible say? Um, we're a Bible church, right? And so we need to start with the scriptures. This shouldn't be just some man-made ideas. What does the Bible say? Number two, next week, how does it work according to what the Bible says? How does this work? And next week, Chris will be talking about some of the one another commands of scripture and how that fits into us being members of one another. And in the last week, why now? Uh, why? What has changed? It's not because of the pandemic, but it is certainly the marching of our culture in a certain direction that is legal and political and has ramifications, legislation that is coming down the pike. There are many things, and on the third week, we will have a shorter message, and the elders will be up here to answer your questions. And so we want to give you opportunities to ask questions. We recognize that we are fallible men, Yes, we understand that the Holy Spirit makes us overseers, but we're mere men, and we have feet of clay, and we may have blind spots, and there may be some things we haven't thought of. And all together, the aggregate of us, we're smarter than these uh, men who are up here. And so we want your feedback. We want your questions. We want to hear from you. In your life groups this week, uh, you will be talking about this. I think it's asking One of the life group questions is at least three questions that will come from your life group that will come back to the elders that we can go through and we can seek to answer those questions for you. We want to remove um, any any roadblocks to understanding. And if there's something we need to tweak, we will certainly do that along the way. Um, Alternatively, through the connection card, through emails, through phone calls, grabbing me or one of the elders uh, between services, before or after services, just let us know what your questions are. On that third Sunday, we will try and answer any that have not been answered this morning. Some of your questions may be answered this morning. Some of them may be answered next week. Some of them may be answered in the preaching portion of week three. But we may need to physically and specifically address some other uh, issues that come our way on that third Sunday. So we're going to be here and uh, we're going to just, you know, uh, we're going to be big targets for you to to ask us big questions. So that's where we're headed. Um, So membership in the Bible. Membership is in the Bible. We are a Bible church and we have to go with what the scriptures say and we have to derive our faith and our practice and our beliefs and our theology from the word of God. We will always do that. 
and I have to say right up front, to be biblically and intellectually honest with you, the term membership does not appear in the New Testament. So we want to be honest about that. It doesn't appear. I also want you to know that there is no chapter and verse that says join the church as a member, become a formal member of the church. So there's no chapter and verse that says that. But do you know that there's no chapter and verse that says to believe in the Trinity? The word Trinity does not appear in the Bible. There is no verse that says thou shalt believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It doesn't say that anywhere. Um, do you know this is, I don't want to open a can of worms, but it's, it's true. There is no mandate in the Bible for wedding ceremonies. And yet we have them. We would not think of just getting a wedding license and start living together. Even the state of Washington, when you get a wedding license, and I've signed many of them, believe me, they want to know the date of the, the, the official ceremony, who officiated, where it was, the county, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Even our, um, even our culture recognizes the importance of a ceremony that recognizes the covenant of marriage. So the Bible does not mandate wedding ceremonies, but we have them. We believe in them, don't we? So there are many things that we believe in, that we practice, that the scriptures do not speak to specifically. Uh, Sunday school, life groups, um, many, many things that we do. Um, we're supposed to fellowship together. We're supposed to disciple children. Um, but the Bible doesn't mandate those things. But, and it is oftentimes the aggregate of the biblical evidence that brings us to a position of conviction. And such is the same with formal church membership. And what we are saying is this. We believe that a formal membership at Valley Bible Church is biblical. And that it will provide and improve our stewardship of shepherding you in pastoral care and it will improve and allow your stewardship of, of your responsibility to one another and to God to minister your gifts. And that's all we're saying. Now, some principle of hermeneutics. Hermeneutics are or is the science of interpretation. We don't just read the Bible and just let it kind of uh, wash over us and we come up with whatever it means. Um, we are to be students of the Word of God, and we are to study God's Word with principles of interpretation. And there are many practices that we derive from the Scripture, and some of those practices are prescribed, and some of those are described. Those are important words to remember. Description and prescription. Things that are described and things that are prescribed. What Those things that are prescribed are mandates. They're commands. There are prescriptions and proscriptions, by the way. I used to get those words mixed up, and I used to use the word proscription as prescription. Then somebody said, I don't think you're using that word right. Have you ever had that happen to you? It's kind of an embarrassing. Proscription means you don't do something. Prescription means you do something. Um, a command versus a prohibition. And we have both, prescriptions and proscriptions. So a prescription is something that is mandated in the scripture as a command. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 is an example. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. How do we provoke one another to love and good deeds that are part of being the body of Christ? Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. This by proscription is a prescription to gather personally together. Corporate worship is mandated throughout the scriptures. Many churches have debated that during the pandemic. And the answer is, yes, we must meet together person to person, face to face together. And then one of the things, two of the things that were not mandated or were not debated so much was the first part, how shall we provoke one another to love and good deeds? And the second part, but encouraging one another 
all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us not forsake our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Is the day of Christ nearer today than it was yesterday? Yes. Will it be nearer tomorrow than it is today? All the more reason to gather together. Because things are changing in this world and it's important. That doesn't mean for a time being, because of circumstances, whether it is a plague or an earthquake or natural disaster, that we might have virtual services, but it cannot be the norm. We have to be together. I was out running the other day. Yes, running for the first time since last fall, knee surgery worked. And so, yeah, yeah, I'm glad. So you'll get some more running stories again. But uh, so I'm running along, and I, and I run by this house, and there are all these T-shirts on, the, uh, on their fence. And I thought, oh, they're putting their laundry out on the, on the fence. And then I noticed that they were Bloomsday T-shirts. And I stopped, and I counted them. There were 20. I thought, well, that's really cool. This person has has run in 20 Bloomsday events. Anybody here done that? Yeah, some, some of you have. 20, that's, a, that's an amazing, amazing thing. Two Sundays ago was Bloomsday, right? Wasn't it great, those of you who ran it? How many of you ran it downtown with all the crowds? It's not really Bloomsday, is it? If you've ever run there, Bloomsday or been there, there's the energy of the crowd and the cheering and the throng and the anticipation of waiting for the, the gun to go off and that you're crowded. And then after the race, everybody's high-fiving and talking about their time and, and drinking and eating bananas and all sorts of things. And, and it's just, it's, a, it's an incredible celebration of something good that God has created, really is, in the community of Spokane that does this so very, very well. But doing it virtually... It's not the same. And somebody, yeah, well, yes, it is. No, it's not. <laughs> it is not the same. And neither is virtual church. We are called to be together. It is prescribed. It is a mandate. It is a command. Yes, when we can't and when it's, we're not able to, providing it online, that's okay for a time. But eventually, we must not forsake our assembling together. But there are other prescriptions in the Bible like this, Ephesians 4. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has, given, has forgiven you. That is a prescription. It is a mandate. It's a command. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. These are not optional. None of these are optional. These are what the Bible tells us are prescriptions. But then some things are described. They give an account of how something was done in the Bible from which we might derive principles of practice. Let me say that again. Some things are described. And when we see that, it's an account of something that was done in the Bible and from that description, we might derive a practice. We don't have to. We have got freedom. But we often do derive principles of practice. Acts 2, 42, gives us an example. They were continually devoting themselves to the teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. We see some principles. The early church, that early church in Acts 2, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. All those things are prescribed somewhere else in the Scripture, but I've had people tell me, well, that's the order, because that's the way they did it. The New Testament church did it this way. Teaching, uh, fellowship, what is the order again? I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, you, you know what I'm saying. Uh, the teaching, the fellowship, um, 
the breaking of bread and prayer, you have to do it in that order. That doesn't prescribe that. No, it doesn't. Nor does it prescribe for us that we sell all of our possessions. How many of us have been doing that, selling everything that we own and just sharing it with one another? They understood that the Lord might be coming back and it was a different time and it was the beginning of the church. This does not say we must do that. It just describes that. Is there a principle we might derive from that? Yes, we share with those who have need. Is it prescribed that we sell all of our worthly goods to provide needs? No, it's not. But we do have that opportunity to uh, take that principle. Again, like I said, we often have other settled convictions from the preponderance of biblical evidence. Wedding ceremonies are one of those things. Um, and it's those things that, uh, that come to us. We recognize that uh, these are principles. For instance, we, we stand for the reading of God's word at Valley Bible Church. Is that manda- mandated somewhere? It's described in the book of Nehemiah. And in the New Testament, Paul said, uh, give attention to the reading of God's word. And so that's prescribed. One way that we do that here is that we stand because we saw them do it in Nehemiah. But in Nehemiah, it doesn't say forthwith for all generations, all believers will stand when God's word is read. It doesn't say that anywhere. But we do it to demonstrate our, uh, our commitment and our understanding of God's word. Sunday school, youth ministry, um, Sunday morning worship. doesn't say what time we meet. doesn't say that we have to meet specifically in the morning. Um, the Lord's Day, yes. Actually, by um, implication, not by command, the frequency of the Lord's Supper, Paul just said, as often as you do it, do this in remembrance of me. So church membership is a prescribed... Is it described? It's actually kind of both. But it falls into another category. Some things in the Bible are stated as a reality. A reality. Something that is. A theological truth. Some things in the Bible are stated, uh, we would say, in the indicative. For instance, you are saved. That's not a prescription. It's not prescribing you do something. It's not describing something about you. It's, this is the reality. You are forgiven. You are loved of God. You are born again. You are sanctified in Christ. No command is given for you to be loved of God, right? It just is. It's a statement of reality. There's no command that says, Be forgiven. No, he forgives us. That's his work. And we are in a state of forgiveness, in a state of being loved and being forgiven. And when it comes to the idea of formal church membership in the Bible, the body is is often used as a metaphor for a spiritual reality of who we are, what we are. It goes beyond prescription and goes beyond description. It is reality. For instance, Romans 6.13. Paul begins using the body as an illustration. And he says, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Romans 6, 19, 7, 13, 7, 25, Paul uses that. The members of your body, your hands, your feet, your eyes, your nose, your tongue, your belly, your loins, everything about you, these are the members of your body. And we present our bodies as living and holy sacrifices, all that we are. My hand is a member of me, and it's attached to my arm. It's obvious physically it is attached in my feet, and my legs, and you, you get the metaphor. So in Romans 12, as we read earlier, Paul says this, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, I've got my arms and my feet and my legs, and they all have different functions. And he says, so we, we, who are many, 
are one body, and listen to this, and individually members of one another. Membership is described in the body as a reality. We are members of one another by virtue of our faith in Christ. And Paul uses the human body as a metaphor to describe the reality, the theological truth, the spiritual truth that we are members of one another. 1 Corinthians 12, and and by the way, in 1 Corinthians 12, the word member is used 14 times. Go and read it for yourself. But he says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greek, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. When we put our faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ, we become members of one another. It is a spiritual reality. It is a fact. It is a truth. And then he says in verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. There he is speaking of the body of Christ. And so in verse 27 of chapter 12, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. We are members of one another. We are members of the body. So church membership is stated as a reality, not just some formality, but a reality. You are a member of the church. You are a member of the body of Christ. You are members of one another. Grasp the significance of that in the same way I asked you to grasp the significance of two weeks ago, three weeks ago, whenever it was, the fact that God the, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit come and live with you and in you. What difference does that make? All the difference of the world. What difference does it make that you are members of one another? ton of difference, a ton of difference. We are related to one another by virtue of God's presence in us and with us. That is how we become members. That is why we are members, because he has placed us into this membership. And it is a profound truth. The Bible does not prescribe formal church membership but the Bible describes that you are a member and states it as a reality. This profound reality demands, I believe, that we define and we sharpen what it means to identify with Valley Bible Church as a member. It comes from this truth, not just some organizational necessity, It is derived from theological bedrock truth. You know, many people say that the reason that church membership has fallen on hard times in America, and indeed it has, is that in America we're just not joiners. Have you ever heard that? We're not joiners. We don't like to join things. (laughs) I beg to differ. Yes, we're joiners. Let me just ask you. You need to raise your hands. How many of you are members of Costco? How many of you are members of a credit union? Amazon Prime. How many of you are a rewards member at a grocery store? Fred Meyer, Albertsons. A loyalty member, maybe? Are you loyal? Do you have the card? Do you have the phone number? A gym membership. American Express, Marriott, Hotels.com, JCPenney, unions. Are you a member of a union? you ever been a, a member of a union? Kiwanis, Rotary, a fraternity, a sorority, an honor society, Starbucks. Got a punch card there at the uh, uh, Mongolian barbecue. 
How many of you have ever, ever been on a sports team? How many of you have played professional baseball? And we have one in our congregation that has, but do you, did you, do you just show up at spring training with your, your glove and your cleats and your hat and, and you're out there on the field warming up and they're saying, uh, and who are you? Well, I'm, I'm just attending right now. You know, I'm just shopping. <laughs> now you have to sign. You, you, you have to be signed to the team. And when you join a team, you become a member, you get the uniform, and you submit to the coach and all the things therein, all I'm saying is we are joiners of many, many things. But when it comes to the church, it's like, well, you know, I don't know. How much information does Costco and Amazon and Google and your, your gym, how much information do they have on you? They have your name, your phone number, your credit card, your social security number, probably. Where you work, maybe how much money you make, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They have lots of information about you. But this is different. This is so much more than Costco or STCU or the gym. Way more. Because it's a reality. Shouldn't there be something that binds us and defines us that is greater than a card in your wallet or a phone number that you, you, you give when, when you're checking out at the, at the checkout? This is deeper. This is theological. This holds us together and binds us together. And that's all we are saying. There should be something at least as much as Costco because the stakes are so much greater than Costco in Amazon. We are joiners. By the way, what we're not saying is this. We're not saying that you're going to become a voting member. We will still be an elder-led church. I was speaking with an elderly pastor this week, and we were talking about this very thing. He's a, a lifelong Baptist and we're talking about elder leadership. And he said, yeah, this is what I've said many times over the years. He said, he said, I've been in so many congregational churches where an important decision was being made. And that one guy who only comes once a month or once every two months, who's very vocal and silver tongued orator sways the whole congregation to vote against something. We will not do that. We have vested our leadership in godly men whom you have recognized, who meet the spiritual qualifications. And that is how we will lead. We want to communicate and we want you to communicate with us. We can always do better. But there will not be intrusive control over your lives. We don't have intrusive control over your lives now nor will we then. It's not going to change. We're not going to have legalistic standards of giving and volunteering and attendance and stuff like that. We won't. Right now, um, you, uh, if you want a tax-exempt uh, statement from the church, we record that giving. But I can tell you this, I have no idea who gives and who gives what. But that's a benefit that we provide for you. We're not going to look in under the hood. We never have. We never will. I promise you that. And I promise you this as well. If the government ever comes asking for our database and who's a member, I know these elders stand with me. We'll go to jail before we give you up. We will. So we will not be intrusive in any way. We will urge you to be faithful to worship and to fellowship and to serve. But we will do so, we hope, by God's grace, to do so lovingly with grace because we care for you. Um, when we were in, in seminary, we were in a small country church and it took on a small country pastor who was a lifelong um, Baptist, was not a Baptist church, but I remember him telling me that at the church that he came from, which certainly was big on membership, that the Saturday morning uh, men's group, when they came together, these men were members, they would actually measure the length of their hair from the collar. We're not going to do that. 
We're not going to have uh, ladies policing, you know, what's it, what are you wearing this morning? There are all sorts of abuses like that the churches have done. We will not. We don't do that now, do we? I don't think we do, nor will we ever. So I want you to know that we, we're not legalistic now, and this is not a change in that in any way. So church membership may be assumed by what is prescribed of church members. Church membership may be assumed by what is described of church members. And next week, Chris is going to deal with the one another's and talk about how fulfilling those commands of loving one another, forgiving each other, et cetera, et cetera. How does that fit into some formal association that we will have? And church membership may be assumed by what is implied by the reality of being a member. Now, you notice I say maybe because I'm being honest that there is no verse that says thou must have thou shalt have formal church membership. I'm saying it may be assumed because I think it's applied and I've grown in this understanding. The more that we've studied it over the years, uh, it's become more and more of a conviction that it is this it is it, for a formal membership is implied and can be assumed by what we read in the New Testament. Acts 2:37 through 47 gives us uh, a, an example. You know Acts chapter 2, we read from it earlier. And in Acts cha- chapter 2, this is the day of the birth of the church. This is the birthday of the church. This is the day that the Holy Spirit came. And, and uh, Peter stands up and he gives that sermon after all the, the, the men are, are speaking in tongues and everybody's going, what is going on here? Something is happening in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And Peter has this wonderful sermon. And, and, he's, and he's, he ends it with this, uh, he says, This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and you put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it is impossible for him to be held in its path, power. And he goes on in the sermon. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what do we do? We recognize what you're saying is true. What shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off and as many as the Lord our God will call to himself and other things. He said, and when those who had received his word were baptized and that day there were added 3000 souls and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, etc., and they began selling their stuff and helping one another. So what happened in this passage? What happens in relationship to church membership? Here's a larger question. How did believers in the New Testament identify as a member? Are Bylaw says if you choose to identify, it doesn't say exactly how, but how did they identify in the New Testament? What did they do here? They repented. They believed. They were baptized. And 3,000 were added. How did they know there were 3,000? They counted them. Who did they count? Those who were baptized. What were they added to? They were added to the church. How would, uh, you know, Jerusalem was filled with Jews. And now you have this, this, new, this new entity called the church. And you have many faithful Jews who don't believe in Jesus. And you have faithful Jews who do believe in Jesus. What marked them from the rest of the Jews? How could you tell? They believed and they were baptized. It was a public profession. Baptism 
has long been the initiatory right into the Christian church. And in the New Testament, when someone became a Christian and they were baptized, it was automatically recognized that they were joining the church by virtue of their baptism. So in the early church, that formal identification was baptism. But you say, I've already been baptized. Well, let's just get this straight first. There has to be some formal way that we recognize our affiliation. And membership in the New Testament is somewhat the same. A formal commitment is necessary. People didn't just wander into church services and say, you know, I hear there's a new religion starting here. I'm going to check it out. You believe in Jesus? Yes. Well, they were baptized and they were part of the church. They were added to the church. You see, in the New Testament, churches were singularly geographical. In the New Testament, we see that there were no churches of the same kind in one city, nor were there churches of a different kind in the same city. In Jerusalem, in Ephesus, in Philippi, in Rome, there was one church. And when you came to Christ, you were baptized, and it was automa- you're automatically a member because there was only one church. And that formal way of identifying was, uh, was through baptism. Now, t- today we have people who come, or they already believe, they've already been baptized. That, does that mean we should do that? No, we're not saying that at all. But we need to understand that uh, when you even think about American church history, the pilgrims came, this one group. Then the Anglicans and the Reformed came, and the Congregationalists and the Presbyterians, and then the Anabaptists and the Quakers and the Moravians. How did they know whose group was whose? They had a covenant with one another. They had a relationship And throughout the world today, when you, in many places, when you join the church, it is official, it is formal, and it's sometimes scary because it marks you out that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Throughout church history, through the Catholic Church and all Protestant denominations, they have all had some formal membership throughout church history. It has been the norm always has been the norm. And I think this is a weighty argument, especially given the early practice that of membership in the early church was you are a member and it was demonstrated mostly by your baptism. So what has changed? How are things different today? We have so many churches of different kinds, don't we? So many denominations and splinter groups and non-denominational churches. How do we know people are part of Valley Bible Church? Are are they just shoppers and they don't have the reward card yet? Are they just looking? Do we baptize people again? No. You see, we are a, a transient society. And we are very mobile. And so when America grew and churches began to be planted in every city and and not in the New Testament, there was no church of the same kind and no church of a different kind. Now we have in every city many churches of many kinds. You see how it has changed? And we are a transient and mobile society. In, In New Testament days and most of church history, you would grow up in that city, if we were in Rome, and, I, and if I were to ask people, how many of you are, are, uh, are Romans by birth? And just about everyone would say yes. How many of you have lived in Spokane all of your life? And how many churches are in Spokane? Tons, right? So in our mobile society, we not only move from state to state, but city to city, and even within town. In town, some of you have lived, uh, many of you have lived in your own house for many, many years, but some of you have lived in two, three different places in Spokane. And so we have this mobility of travel, and we have all of these these. Um, these choices which we can make. You can hop on a freeway and you can travel 70 miles an hour and arrive at a destination across town in 15 or 20 minutes. And in the early church and in the early American church, 
that would have taken many, many hours. I was reading this week, a pastor was talking about this, and, and he said, and you may identify with this, he said when he drives to church at six miles, he passes 12 churches. 12 churches. How many churches do you pass on your way? What makes them a member and not you a member? This would have been the case in Jerusalem and Ephesus and Philippi that they, didn't, that they didn't have the options. We have a society that is transient and mobile. And so we are looking for a way to identify with one another that we might help each other. 1 Corinthians 1.10, by the way, says this, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment, that you get along and there be no divisions. What did they do in Jerusalem? Did they go to another church when they had problems? There was no other church. (laughs) They just dealt with it. And I understand that there are good reasons to leave the church. If you left the church and you're here, there are good reasons to do that. But mobility in our transient society makes that such an easier thing to do, to change churches. You may remember a cartoon from many years ago. This uh, Christian man is stranded on a deserted island. He's been there for many years all by himself and and hoping to be rescued. And one day a ship arrives arrives on the horizon and a boat comes out and he's rescued finally after many years and his rescuers notice that there are these three huts on the island and they ask him well what's this and he says well that's my home i've been living here for many years but i and i've grown fond of it but i can't wait to get to my real home and they said well what's that second uh, hut there and he said that's my church every sunday i go and i worship god in that hut and he, he said well what's that third hut there and he said That's my former church. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Out of the mouth of babes. I exhort you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus, you agree and there be no divisions. So what's at stake? Here's what's at stake. Hebrews 13, 17 and John 10. 1 through 16, we're not going to read them all, but in Hebrews 13, it says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. One day, Caleb and I and Chris and and uh, the rest of the elders, we're going to stand before God, and he's going to say, how would you do? How? The question is, will we say, I, I didn't know who was ours. I didn't know who I had charge over. I didn't know who belonged to my flock. We had a lot of shoppers, but we didn't have that many uh, loyalty members, <laughs> punch card holders. We had many people. But also he says, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. The implication opposite is that, that you have followed your leaders and you have served the church well. In John chapter 10, we talked about that a number of weeks ago. Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I call them all by name. He doesn't look at Valley Bible Church and just say, yeah, I know all 500 is about what it is. Even though we have 3,000 on the database, we don't know exactly what 500. But we have, he knows each and every person. He knows each and every one. He knows Rob and Judy and Chris and Mandy. And he knows Jim 1, 2, and 3 and Jennifer 1, 2, and 3. No offense to Jims and Jennifers. We just have a lot of you. But we, too, have to know them by name, as Jesus did. A shepherd knows exactly how many sheep 
he must care for. I want to know that. So when I stand before God, I can sincerely say, I knew these people. And I want you to sincerely say, we knew our leaders. And we knew our family. So what's at stake? Two things. Number one, church membership will allow us as leaders to best steward our responsibility to God to shepherd each and every one of you. It'll help us to do that. Number two, church membership will allow you to best steward your responsibility to God to serve one another under the leadership of Valley Bible Church. That's all we're saying. So in conclusion, we're a family. We talk about that all the time. And I want you to prepare the bread and the cup as a family. And I want you to recognize that we are members of one another. We are a family that is united with something much greater than Costco or the credit union or the gym. We're united by Christ. My last son is getting married in a couple of weeks. And by by virtue of that formal wedding ceremony, she who will be my daughter-in-law will be joined to our son, and she will formally identify as an orchard. And she will become part of our family. Wedding ceremonies are similar to church membership in many ways because we are the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And we view it as important as this. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, Paul says this, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Yes, it is. Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Yes, it is. Since there is one bread... We who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread together, for we are members of one another. Brother and sister, join with me in blessing the body and the blood. Father God, we thank you that you have given to us this means to demonstrate to you that we belong to one another. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so by taking part in this meal at this point. We thank you for the body of Christ that he lived on this earth, that he lived a sinless life and suffered and rose again. We thank you for his blood which was shed that cleanses us from all unrighteousness until he returns. And we look forward to the day that we will all be together and we will sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb And we will eat the bread and drink the cup, looking backward at that which has been fulfilled. In the name of Christ, amen.